This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131 806? And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. Well, I'm not great, Corrie. I actually came down with COVID. It is worse than the flu. Fevers and really bad temperature, dehydration, the worst headaches, aching bones. Have you had time from your sickbed to have a crush? My crush has been a man who has got me through many, many days of illness, made me laugh, not quite made me cry, but moved me. He's one of my favourite actors, Steve Carell. The reminder is that abuse comes in different forms, though. Look, I really recommend Made. I think it's a crackerjack series. He's a captain of the Australian cricket team. They made him captain knowing about these messages. When the new boss became the boss, he was told about this situation and did nothing. This is an organisation in disarray. There are men there who thought that this behaviour was okay. No matter how long ago it happened, this behaviour is not okay. You know in Dutch Scrabble, there is five Zed. Five. <laughs> it is impossible to play, Corrie. I wouldn't mind a Zed. If there were five Ks, I'd be hitting my head on the Lazy Susan, that's for sure. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corrie Perkin. Welcome to episode 198 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. Corrie Perkin here with Caroline Wilson, who is in Amsterdam, as she has been the last few weeks. And, Carol, you have had a big week. How are you, my friend? Well, I'm not great, Corrie. Um, I actually came down with COVID. Having managed to to avoid it, having managed to avoid it for, um, gee, it must be 18 months, isn't it, since um, first hit Melbourne's shores, or, or more, in fact, um, as I told you last week, it's absolutely rife in Amsterdam. A lot of restrictions being announced a few weeks ago and another press conference coming up this Friday, which we're all very concerned about. But, um, yeah, we've all come down with it. And, you know, it's been bad. Um, not as bad as poor Todd Goldsmith, who I was reading about in the paper the other day. But um, we weren't, none of us were hospitalised. But um, Rose and I in particular have been really quite crook, like, it is worse than the flu, and I've only had the flu twice. But, and I'm, you know, as you know, I'm fully vaccinated and I'm pretty healthy, and Rose too is the same, and also um, 30 years younger than me. But um, fevers and really bad, really bad temperature, dehydration, the worst headaches, aching bones. Yeah, so a bit of a miserable week. We've been, as you can imagine, have not done very much because we can't leave the house. And, um, the good news is here, if you're asymptomatic after a week, you can actually go out and about and do your business. But if you're still feeling sick, then you've got to stay at home. So I'm almost a week now, which is great. Um, Brendan hasn't been too bad. And there seems to have been plenty of do, to do. The hours have gone by. The first two days, I couldn't even read. I mean, I couldn't even find use my brain. It was so foggy. But um, I'm now back cooking. I have never watched more television in my entire life. We watched Titanic yesterday and I cried. Well, and it's <laughs> We've good. watched it's... Working Girl. We've watched the entire series of The Maid, which you and I are going to talk about later. I've done series of shows that I've heard about but never started um, and a lot of lying around. So that's my news, Corrie, which is pretty bleak, I've got to say, but 
Thank heavens now and not Christmas time, I guess. There is so much to unpack here and we will as the as this episode unfolds. But first of all, I'm very pleased to hear that all the family is uh, recovering. When you and I were texting the other night, you said this is worse than any flu I've ever had. I can't imagine what that's like. So I'm very glad that you're, you've bounced back. And in the interest of this podcast, Cara, let no one ever say that you are not a true professional. Here you are what is it, 6.30 or 7am Amsterdam time. You look fabulous, a bit pale, but you look fabulous and you've had COVID and you've bounced back for the podcast. I wouldn't <laughs> say I look fabulous, but that's very kind of you. It's, it's, look, it's a very odd thing, this virus, the way it takes over your body. It, it does things that no other virus, it plays with your sleep, with your dreams, um, your appetite. Have you lost your taste is it, or has that come back? Yeah, it, that's coming back. Um, roses has been particularly bad. No, no smell at all. Absolutely no sense of smell. Um, taste getting a little bit better. Can't smell coffee, but starting to. Luckily, um, where we're staying, there's a wonderful coffee machine here, so we're able to make coffee, and I'm starting to taste that again. As I said, I'm starting to cook again. There's this bizarre delivery service that I think sprung up in the Netherlands during COVID when it first broke out called Gorillas, I think, where there's these warehouses around Amsterdam, certainly in, don't know about the rest of the Netherlands, and you just go online and order stuff and it arrives within seven or eight minutes. So that has been not an issue, you know, eating and drinking, keeping, that's the other thing, massive dehydration, Mm. massive dehydration. Thank heavens, no respiratory problems. And I'd just love to know, I'd be fascinated to know how sick I would have got had I not been vaccinated. But as I said, the cases here are now burgeoning. I mean, they're well into the mid-20,000s and growing. Germany has gone completely nuts. And Europe is really a bit of a worry. So it'll be really interesting to see what they do regarding restrictions. Things are still sort of open. I'm just glad I did a lot of touristy things before this happened. And um, that little Sunday has been keeping us all on our toes. She's been an absolute dream. So that's my news, Corrie. I can't... I can't say I've done much else. Well, it, it, Caro, it's just a reminder, isn't it? And indeed, the Toddy Goldsmith interview that she did uh, with The Age, I think it was on the weekend, where she talked about how she had been double vaxxed and she did a, she wasn't feeling great and she did a, uh, a she gave herself a rapid testing, um, you know, did that one or, once or twice and it was negative, negative, and then um, suddenly she's positive. So it's a real reminder that this virus does creep through the nooks and crannies and we none of us should be complacent. And if you have had uh, two vaccinations, everyone, and you're not feeling great, uh, make sure, and you have the symptoms, make sure that you do go to a testing station and, um, and get it checked out. Caro, I'm really glad that you are bouncing back because in a couple of weeks, we are turning 200. This podcast that started that started as an extension of the chitter chatter that you and I enjoy when we go for a walk, uh, we decided to run the microphone. Craig Hutchison at SEN was very supportive of this idea. He seems to find us fascinating. So does his partner, Claire. So that's all really helpful. And we love being here connected with SEN in the studio. And look what's happened. Here we are three or four years later and we're heading toward 200th. The really good news, Potties, is in a couple of weeks when we do have our 200th, we will be joined in the studio by Anna from the Op Shop. Anna Barry is going to come in. You'll be looking forward to seeing her, Caro, because she uh, and you have been separated for as long as you and I have of course and that will be fun 
And then we'll have uh, the week after that our special Christmas break up and we'll have a couple of uh, guests we love uh, coming in for that one as well. But Caro, there's a little bit of correspondence I want to go through, but firstly I do, it's an apology on my part. A friend of mine who was listening to this podcast said to me yesterday, do you have a new son-in-law called Jake? And apparently I uh, said when we were talking about the terrific restaurant in Ballarat, Mr Jones, last week I talked about my son-in-law Jake's friend and of course it's not my son-in-law, it's He's married to Lily, who is my niece. Lily is like a daughter, so I could sort of, and I spoke at their wedding, yeah, so I could I sort of be forgiven. I, I let that go through to the keeper, and I think of that as, it's funny, isn't it? I'm, I, I'm a bit like that with my sister's children. <laughs> they just all morph into one, so, uh, yeah, oh, sorry yeah. about that. I don't have I don't have another son-in-law. Indeed, I don't have another daughter um, other than Coco and Sheka, but there you go, and sorry about that. And... Um, We've had some terrific correspondence, lots actually. One from Catherine Black in Ballarat who said, I've paused the podcast to let you know that your love letter to Victoria, Corrie, made me teary. Oh, that's sweet. What a wonderful state in which we live, says Catherine. You mentioned travels in Western Victoria and to those who haven't been, I can recommend to you the Silo Art Trail and Lake Tyrrell photos attached and she sent photos. And in fact, I know somebody who did the silo art trail around Horsham and Warwickmobile and so on last week and said it was fantastic. So they're really, uh, they say, that Catherine says, the space, the big sky, country hospitality and peace were the tonic we needed. There's no road rage out here, Corrie. <laughs> You'll love it. <laughs> so there you go. And um, I really appreciate that. And Liz Fleetwood on Instagram also said, Port Ferry, great to visit, even better if you live here. Love the pod, never miss it. Thank you, Liz. I know that you're a bit of a fan of the podcast. So, Carol, uh, before we before we chime in with another apology next week, that was a lovely email from Catherine, but it's actually Catherine Block, I think. Oh, sorry, did I say Catherine Black? Oh, my yeah, apologies. So my eyesight. We, we love her email anyway, but we'll just um, we'll just get that one right. I loved her Ballarat recommendations. She found things in Ballarat I'd never heard of, Corrie. It was a lovely email, and we love, love, love your emails. They're supposed to go just to Miss Jane, but she's hooked us in, so they're going to Carol and my inboxes. Well, we read them all. Apologies that we don't always have the time to get back to you, but uh, we do appreciate it so much because it helps us keep on the straight and narrow with the podcast. Okay, so Carol, you've talked a little bit about life in Amsterdam has been such great chops for you guys over the past week, but tell us generally what's uh, what's happening. I saw that there were some violent protests against COVID measures on the news, and just wondered what the key issues what were what what everybody's protesting about over there. Well, the biggest um, the ones I've, that have got the most news have been in um, the Hague, Den Haag, which has been um, look it's a lot of anti-vax protesting. There is obviously angst against um, the lockdown measures, um, but I think the the vaccination issue, but you know, is still it's. Uh, it, it, you know, I'm sorry, Corey. I just think it's ridiculous the anger around vaccination rules. I find it absolutely crazy, um, and it's it's pretty strict here. You know, you just you go into a restaurant. Well, obviously, I haven't been doing that for over a week now. But you go into a restaurant or a cafe. If you don't have a QR code, you can't go in. And what's changed now is that you can't. You used to be able to go to places, and if you prove that you were um, 
if you'd just done a test and it was negative, you could go in. But now, now that doesn't wash anymore. I understand that people are struggling and people have suffered and they've suffered for a long time. I don't understand the anger in Melbourne. I don't understand why people have become so full of hate. I, I do blame some sections of the media for fueling this and obviously social media has just become an insidious, dreadful thing. But I'm happy to say that... Um, and when you're reading about politicians like that Queensland politician who was referring people on his own Facebook page to some crazy doctor who was suggesting we should execute Jacinta Ardern. I actually, Jacinta Ardern, I just don't really understand why um, we give these people, and I'm even mentioning it now, so much credence. When you look at the polls and you look at the way people are voting in most states of of Australia, people are really supporting their premiers. And that seems to be the case in Victoria as well. I the think it. I think it will really be. Yeah, it, it will be. It will be. Uh, uh, still, it will be a significant issue. I think in if there is a federal election in March, as some as some of the pundits pundits are predicting, it's certainly going to be an issue. And uh, you know, you look at the you look at the um, the maelstrom over there, the violence and and some of the the violence that we've seen here in Melbourne in particular. And I'm at a loss to understand why people are so agitated about this. I understand, uh, of course, the right, you know, the, the rights, human rights and our ability to choose and our right to choose. But nobody argued about the polio Vaccination that we all received when we were little kids. Do you remember when we used to have to drink the little pink syrup on a on a on a, on a spoon at school? And nobody nobody yeah. uh, ever worries about whooping cough. And indeed, my Francesca, when she was pregnant with her first child, said to me, "You've got to have this whooping cough vaccination, Mum, or else." Um, I, I just the mood is so interesting, and it just seems to have been hijacked by. Um, Parties who are not necessarily interested in the in the civil rights element of this. Well, it's certainly um, playing on party politics, isn't it? Which is really sad. And um, the pandemic has been strictly run on political lines from the beginning, which is also really sad. I mean, you talked about those protests in Victoria last week, which I hadn't really taken note of. They were just insidious, some of the stuff and the threats that were being supported by some opposition politicians, the threats towards Daniel, I mean, you know, in terms of people they were marching with and standing with towards Daniel Andrews and his family, I think it's utterly disgraceful. And as I say, it sounds to me, obviously the weather's been a bit bleak in Victoria, although it sounds like it came good again for a while last week. I just wonder how much of a... um, say these people are really having in the mood of Victorians and how much they're hijacking the agenda from other people. Because um, even your talk about transferring powers, you know, you were talking about the anger against transferring powers from the chief health officer to the government. It, it sounds like not much different than what happens in New South Wales anyway, and no one seemed to bat an eyelid. So anyway, it's going to be interesting. And I do think that media commentators are not there to be upbeat but I know how much I love listening to 
people who stayed positive during the pandemic, like, you know, Ross and John, and then later Ross and Russ on 3AW. So anyway, that's just my view on it all. Uh, just on, on who to listen to, I think also if people do want some facts, there's always the coronavirus, as I mentioned last week with Dr Norman Swan on the ABC. Caro, it's a... Re- cast, yeah. yeah, Corona cast. Yeah. It's really interesting that you, uh, you've you asked about the mood because I was only talking about this a couple of hours ago to a friend. We were both saying how different it is this time compared with last year. So this time last year, we all kind of skipped out of the, well, actually ran out of the blocks, truth be told, after the big winter lockdown. And um, it's a very different mood this year. People are very cautious. They're nervous. They're not as driven to fill the diary and get out there. I'm sure there, you know, there, there, there's lots happening, and I'm sure there are people who are laughing at me as they put in yet another Christmas party into their diary. But I'm just sensing among my cohort and also my kids that there is uh, people are not as driven to get out to get out there and and be in a big place. I suspect there's a bit of lacking energy in that as well, Caro. Caution, yes, but probably more lacking energy because people are just exhausted. We now are charged with having to kickstart the Victorian economy for the second time in a year, and we will because people are committed and they're ready to shop and they're ready to spend and Goodness knows there are so many tradies on the road. There's a lot of uh, home maintenance going on around the burbs. But people are really tired. And, of course, add to this stress uh, is is lack of goods, lack of stock. The building, the the construction industry is pulling its hair out because it can't get stuff off the wharves because there's this kind of freight build-up. Retailers are going mental because they they haven't got the goods. People are ordering off catalogues and so on. There's nothing there for them to, to... so they have to make 20 calls to people, which they normally wouldn't have to, to 20 different people to say, I'm terribly sorry, what you've ordered is not in stock. Can you wait? There's a lot of personal service going on. I can tell you that for a fact. I know I have retail friends who are really uh, exhausted at the end of the day. So, in fact, to, to go out and have fun uh, and go to the pub and 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 stay out till 1am is um, is just not happening as... as, as um, as saturated as you might think. Okay. Now, no, I'm, I must say I'm hearing a lot of people very cheery over the last week that the weather's come good. Oh, that, there's loving, no no doubt about that. That really was a game changer. Going out and doing the odd thing. Over here, the whole supply chain issue has been a big issue as well, um, and that's a – and because um, – Rose and Oscar are moving. I mean, we're experiencing that and I'm talking to other people who've gone through the same things. It's very, very common here in Europe as well. But Christmas is very much in the air. As I said, I haven't seen much over the last week, but even before that, I talked about the Christmas lights. I mean, every little village here has its own little celebration, its own little light show. It all started a couple of weeks ago. It is so beautiful. Any so any sight, Any sightings of sooty Pete? <laughs> no, no. Although um, that's coming up next week, it's December five. So I'll, I'll keep you posted on the latest. I've got a, I've got a, I've got a very disturbing, actually quite serious Dutch fact for you this week, Corey. <laughs> well, can, can I just can say, can I just say that last week's about Black Pete wasn't uh, wasn't exactly happy hour. Well. 
particularly when you thought it was related to a type of moth. <laughs> well, I just had the spe- had the spelling as P E A T in my head. One other little one other little Dutch fact that came to my mind when you were talking about two hundred years of two hundred years two hundred episodes of the podcast and how it began. It actually began over a game of Scrabble. Do you know in Dutch Scrabble there is five Z's. Oh. It's just impossible. It is impossible to play, Corrie. They're not even worth that much. There were so many Zs in Dutch. I wouldn't. Anyway. I wouldn't mind it. I wouldn't mind a Z, but I would just. Um, if there were five Ks, I'd be hitting my head on the lazy Susan. That's for sure. But you know how good a Z is if you get it. Anyway, yeah, they're great. Before we before we go and have a drink with Miles, I just want to briefly talk about Tim Payne and how absolutely shocked I have been by the unfolding of this story and yet another scandal with Cricket Australia and the Australian cricket team. I mean, that is so disappointing. Like so many dreadful cricket stories, it was known about by Cricket Australia and the board and I don't care what they say, covered up. I mean, they decided it was in everyone's best interest for the story not to come out about Tim Payne sending sexually explicit sort of messages to a staffer at um, Cricket Tasmania. And, you know, I know that they decided that they were consensual between two adults and the woman later on decided it wasn't consensual. And, you know, there's a bit of victim blaming going on. They're saying that she only decided it wasn't consensual when she got into trouble or she was um, involved in a um, some allegations of wrongdoing at, at her workplace. But he's a captain of the Australian cricket team. They made him captain knowing about these messages. And we have a new boss of Cricket Australia saying it should not have been covered up. He should have been censured at the time. And yet when the new boss became the boss, he was told about this situation and did nothing. This this is an organisation in disarray. And it comes down to, um, and I see that Tim Payne and his wife have done this, you know, really lovely, very honest and probably quite, good advice to do a tell-all in the Sunday Herald Sun on the weekend, but I feel uncomfortable when I see a woman having to sit there and act dignified and talk about her personal devastation at this. I mean, she was at home with a, you know, young baby at the time. Why do men do this? What, you know, to take it down to its most basic... I'm sorry to laugh, but that's just like a million-dollar female question. Do men understand that women getting dick pics is not something they want? that they have no interest in this? No, I'd rather be taken out to dinner, honestly. But I think what is so concerning here for all of us, men and women who are enlightened or, you know, clear thinking, is that this behaviour, there are men there who thought that this behaviour was okay. No matter how long ago it happened, this behaviour is not okay. And even if there's apologies or there's reasons why or that was consensual at the time or whatever it is, this behaviour is not okay. Not only is this behaviour not okay, you can't then, I don't think, take that person and assess them as somebody who is who is their worth as a leader. You can't see them as an executive or as a role model or, in the case of the captain of the Australian cricket team, a national hero before you even had up, you know, the fact that you've got the baggy green on your head, you're a national hero. And so at what point did the men, mostly men who run Cricket Australia think, oh, well, you know, this is okay, we'll kind of sweep it aside, no harm done. And then say to that person, and a couple of years later after the event, we're going to offer you 
the plum job in sport because we think you are a leader. We think you are a great role model. We think you are a national hero. Have him on the side. Have him on the side for sure. But, you know, the captain is the captain. Well, that's another question. That's another question. And is it important to when you're representing the Australian cricket team that you're above these things? Obviously, it's not because it was okay for him to be a player and it's still okay for him to be a player. He might not make the team, but if he doesn't, it won't be because of this issue. It'll be because of injury and form. Um, I, I was fascinated to see as he sat beside Bonnie, his wife, for that interview when he talked about why he did it. You know, was it an inflated ego, wanting attention? Um, talked about, actually tried to analyse, and I've never heard a male in a high-profile position, and other men have been accused of sending explicit messages, actually talk about and analyse why they did it. But I still think it was just a really bad decision to cover it up. And, and you know, now, now we've got the head of Cricket Tasmania coming out and smashing Cricket Australia and saying he's been treated appallingly and hung out to dry. No, he can't be captain after this. Right. And he took the decision. But I really think that the victim blaming in some of the statements has been just appalling as ever. And I just so, because I so believed in Tim Payne and what he was doing, what he was doing for Australian cricket, what he did in that first series after the, you know, after the fall, the South African sandpaper disaster, sandpaper gate, I'm, I'm really disappointed. Well, you, really, and, really you, and I, you and I are big believers in redemption and, uh, you know, maybe the path going forward for Tim Payne will be an honourable one and hopefully he'll have a terrific test career. But the question is, well, he's he was appointed. His career, well, yeah, so no. but, well, but he's, you know, the point is that he's been appointed into this role. Everybody knew about it and they still appointed and they didn't come publicly forward with it. And that's where the issue is, I think, for us, isn't it? Had they come forward with it, he wouldn't have been appointed, but it should have been dealt with at the time. It should have come out and he should have been censured because there are certain responsibilities. It was a workplace thing as well. No, look, I'm... I'm just have lost all faith in Cricket Australia, particularly that board at the time and what they did. And some of the response since has been really disappointing as well. And the fact that, you know, Justin Langer wanted him to stay on as captain, I find extraordinary. But then I guess Justin Langer's saying if he can be a player, he can be captain. So a lot of hypocrisy, but it comes down to most women reading that story and shaking their heads and trying to understand why a man would do a thing like that. It is time for a drink, that time of the week. We're welcoming Miles Thompson from Prince Wine Store. And Miles is in the studio with us today, Caro. And here comes Miles with a few bottles. Very exciting. It's very exciting for you two. I'm looking enviously over my screen. As you can imagine, Miles, alcohol hasn't made, played a major part in my life over the last week. What are you two clinking? Describe, please. Well, I'll explain in my novice terms. So Miles has poured me a tiny, just a couple of centimetres. He's very light-handed, the old Miles. It could be a bit heavy-handed. Oh, I can, I can no, put no, no, more no, in there. That's fine. I would say this is the colour of a paler version of your lemon cordial, Caro, that I'm about to try. It smells a bit beer-ish, a bit yeasty, and it tastes a bit spritzery. Miles? So this is Hill's Cloudy Apple Cider. Oh, I did say cloudy, didn't I? Yeah. I so so they, they're from Adelaide Hills. They do a few different types of ciders. And this is kind of new for them, so it's unfiltered is, is why it's cloudy. So they don't bother filtering. But it gives it this lovely 
chalky kind of lemon pithy sort of texture that you sometimes don't get with those very clean sort of filtered apple juices. So there's a bit of a rawness about it and a little bit of a funkiness to it too, which I really like. And a lot of the traditional cider, I think we've got one here from France, has a bit of that sort of funkiness as well. Well, So I'm in love with this. When we tried it recently, I was just like, that's that's my cider for summer. Really? (laughs) Are you a bit of a a cider boy? I love cider. What about you, Caro? Look, there were periods of my life I really liked it. And when it came back in, you know, probably, I don't know, Miles, 10, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, and I think we started buying it eight years ago for kids' 21sts and stuff, I started sampling a few and obviously like the ones that weren't too sweet. But I like the sound of cloudy. And obviously, Miles, this isn't too sweet and more apple Yeah, it's very apple It is apple And it's not too sweet. It, it's got some sweetness to it, you know, like most ciders yeah. do. But well, Miss Jane's giving you the thumbs up too. And oh, I love cider, but the, all the commercial ones are so sweet. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. They're often very sweet. It's got a nice tart finish on it. Just on the uh, design element, Caro, because you, we know how much you love a gin bottle. Look how pretty that little can is. Mm. Blue, blue and white. Cider in a can, almost as good as rosé in a can. Absolutely. As we discovered all those years ago in Cornwall. There is nothing nothing good about rosé in a can. It is pretty. So Hills Cider Cloudy Apple, no added sugar, no added concentrate, and it's 5% alcohol. Certainly miles to drink for summer, isn't it? Yeah, I think you'll really like it. Yeah, I think I might might add that to my order. Well, when I picked the selection yesterday, I was kind of looking at some things, and it was very warm here. Yeah. Not so much today, but um, yeah, it's very much a summer drink. And look, I, I was going to say, I always, we have lots of cider at work and we have another a, a one that comes in, a few that come in bigger bottles. And I often take one of the bigger bottles of a couple of different producers for Christmas. For Christmas Day in particular, I really like it in the afternoon if you've had a few drinks for lunch and you're going to sort of continue on into the night. Something a little sweet, a little soft, a little bubbly in the afternoon is... Oh, your Christmas day sounds like my kind of place. Oh, yeah. I thought that's how everyone did Christmas. I don't know. <laughs> that's about the time we normally turn to champagne, but I meant go back... Or champagne. That's fine, too. Or the cup of... Back to champagne. The cup of tea and back the to piece of Christmas cake. Yeah. Mm, that's more your Boxing Day vibe, I reckon. <laughs> okay, so what's the next one that we're going to try? So it's also another, another cider... So this one's a little bit warmer. You can pour it back in that glass because I've actually yeah. finished my glass. So this is... Which this comes as no of... surprise to those who know me. I have to keep reminding myself that we're 10 hours apart, Corrie. I'm feeling <laughs> it's quite weird watching this. This looks like a pale beer um, and it has a little it tiny bead, I guess you'd call it. I'm not sure what I'm drinking, but here we go. Oh, Wow. Talk about funky. Mm. <laughs> so this is another cider. This is called Cyril Zag Cider Man. Got a bit of a cult following. We've only just got it in recently, but it's from, from Normandy. He makes a few different ciders. It comes from about, I think, like over 50 different cider apples. It's quite traditional style French Normandy cider. So it has that funkiness, which is bacteria that grows... And he's encouraged to grow often in cider. And it gives it a little bit of a funky sort of Is that the kind earthy, of the med- medicine-y yeah. kind of feel I'm getting at the end of that? Absolutely. I don't want to put bodies off with that. It's not so like it's a cough it's, mixture, but it's just got a – it has um, an undefined – It's a perfect way to describe taste. it because when you see that in, in wine, you often perceive it as a fault. But in beers and cider, it's considered to be favourable. Okay, so my favourite is The Hills, I have to say. Um, yeah. That one's okay, but I don't think it's for me. So, so Cider I, Man. Can I just show you? I'm just showing Caro on the screen. 
Look at the label of this one. It's called Spider-Man, and there's a kind of a Spider-Man type superhero person on it. Well, it's Superman. It's more like Superman <laughs> Super to me. Cider for sure. That's hysterical. Yeah, anyway, real, like I said, real cult following. So people, I, I love it personally. I think it's really fantastic. If you're into um, kombucha. So they're two different. Yeah, you're right, yeah, Jane. Yeah. So they're really sort of two different spectrums, although there's an element of that hills trying to sort of, that it's trying to emulate, but really that really funky, earthy, traditional style and the hills that a little bit more sort of modern and clean and fresh and bright. So mm, Like me. To, yeah, that's right. Exactly <laughs> like you. So, so okay. when, does one, um, when does one start drinking cider? I mean, I know some people just have it as their drink of, you know, choice. They bring a six pack along to a party, which I can't imagine, but a refreshing afternoon drink, you're thinking Miles? Yeah, that's what I was thinking in the afternoon. I think because it has a bit of sweetness too, you probably want to um, maybe start with it. I or kinda, end, I kinda or think, end with it. Or end with it. Yeah, I think start. I'm not sure I, I'd want it in the middle. I'd yeah. sort of want it to, to start, yeah, and start in the afternoon. Nance, you know when I would have it? I would have it if, I, if we're having uh, one of the dunches that we mentioned last week. So we were kicking off at 2, 2.30. And you'd you'd have a glass of this with just no like no food or maybe just a salted nut, but nothing that would um, com- uh, um, inhibit or, yeah inhibit the taste of the cider because it's quite powerful. It. Like you wouldn't be serving one of your lovely prawn pillows with this. Good, I think um, I think you'd no. save those for the glass of champagne. I don't think this is necessarily has has perfect food matches good, with good it. Good aged cheddar. Um, yeah, it's a great match. So this is a. I'm holding this to Caro. Oh, okay. This, this is a go. very and maybe a, a nice nice bowl of chips, Corey. Yeah, a nice bowl of chips, or um, it goes with you could do your lovely, chips, it? yeah, you could do your lovely guacamole and your um, oh, your like corn chips. So this one, Caro, this third one is very pale, and um, no kind of bead or bubble happening there. So I'll give this a whirl. What's this one called, Miles? So this is not a cider. This is. Royal Jamaican ginger beer. Oh, yum. Talk about your kombucha, so Jane. Oh, this is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. This reminds me of my great-grandmother who loved Brute, Isabella like Atkinson. Ginger beer. She loved a ginger beer, yeah. Yeah, and I do too. And, and uh, Bundaberg, mate, when it's really good, it's very sweet, though, I find the Bundaberg, although it is good. There's another one called Lick Pier, which is quite good. Um, and then this is kind of one of the other sort of really well sort of known ones, the Royal Jamaican. Now they're really Jamaica's really I didn't know this quite quite well known for their really high quality ginger. That's one of the things they do really well. Oh, and the so t- it's sitting at the back of the throat, that peppery, that peppery spice, oh, and wow. And so it's it's brewed with with that fresh ginger, and it's also brewed with the the, the sugarcane juice, and so it's got that's where it kind of gets that sweetness from as well, and obviously for the brewing process. Um, this is definitely so your box, boxing day. Your boxing day um, drink while you're watching the 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 ashes start or something. Yeah, nice Carol. afternoon. Yeah, I nice sunny so. afternoon. I think so. But so, fantastic stuff. Really. So this cool. has a more traditional label <laughs> with the yellow and the brown, and it's four point four percent alcohol. Um, that's really lovely. I love that, Miles. It's great. Mm, it's How interesting. Good. We could just start having cider parties, Caro. Yeah. Well, we're lucky here in Australia that this, this sort of cider thing cider thing has taken off as well. So there's a lot more choice than we used to have. I was going to bring in the Willie Smiths, and they've been doing it for ages, but their stuff is really fantastic, really amazing. So there's lots of good options there. 
And so uh, just forecasting toward next week, because we're going to get into a bit of a Christmas theme. Christmas vibe. You're going Ooh, to put scary. together uh, a Christmas package for us. And um, we're I not have gonna, a Christmas not, mix dozen ready to go, and I have a bunch of wine for you. And we're not going to try all 12, because we would never get the podcast oh. finished. <laughs> Rats, says oh, Jane. Jane. Jane's not sure. <laughs> Jane, Jane wants all 12 bottles. But uh, what is going to happen, um, Potties, is... Uh, after this podcast, I'm going to Prince Wine Store to pick up my wine order and a couple of bottles that Miles is putting in our Christmas special, and then we can talk about those two and others in the mixed dozen next week, mm, Miles. Absolutely, yeah. So the dozens, I put the dozen together. It's, it's it's always a good drinking dozen for Christmas. We always like to put in a just great stuff that you can kind of you know rip out whenever. Um, friends are over or you're at a barbecue or whatever it is. There's a magnum, sparkling wine, everything. So, And what about the yeah, cost of these ciders all. and the Royal Jamaican Right. So uh, 4 for the Hill Cider and obviously cheaper in six packs, but then, then the listeners get their 10% as well. Um, the Cider Man is $18. It's oh, uh, what? right up there. Yeah, really premium imported product, and then $7 for the Jamaican ginger beer, mm, Royal okay. Jamaican ginger beer. Another reason to say the Hill Cider is my favourite. Yeah. Uh, look, I'm a huge fan. I, I think mm. it's such a good, such an awesome cider and a little bit different to what you see in the market too, and I think, which is nice about that one. Well, thank you, Miles, for bringing them in and for pouring Jane and myself a drink. Uh, we might finish the bottles now. <laughs> Please do. Bad luck, Caro. You miss out. Um, and uh, one of the drawbacks of being overseas. And uh, we look forward to next week, yes, everyone. Yes, be fun. So don't forget to jump on to princewinestore.com.au and we follow the prompts, don't we, to the Don't Shoot the Messenger page. Yep, it should come up on the main page there. You can follow through to it. And it's got everything that we've uh, talked about in the last couple of months. Fantastic. Great. Let's do it. Thanks, Miles. Thank you. And now, Caro, it's time for Crush of the Week. Have you had time from your sick bed to have a crush? Well, you won't be surprised that it's a TV star, Corrie, because that's what I've been doing a lot of over the last week. My crush has been a man who has got me through many, many days of illness, made me laugh, not quite made me cry, but moved me. He's one of my favourite actors, Steve Carell. I have... Not only have I completed the morning show or morning wars, depending on um, what side of the world you're watching it, in which Steve Carell plays the disgraced Mitch Kessler in one of his really, really good roles. And he plays a much bigger role in the second series, I reckon, really, than the first series. Second series is so different from the first series. And he is one of the characters who almost manages to have a level of irony about how seriously all these people take themselves because you know you look at the politics and the cutthroat and the life or death and the way they all treat each other off screen and then yet when they're on screen and you watch what they do on that morning show it's all pretty trivial and that's what all these stakes are about but more importantly I had never watched the American version of The Office and there were nine seasons and I reckon we're into about four or five now. We have watched so many episodes of The Office. But Steve Carell's Michael Scott is one of the most multifaceted, star, you know, flawed heroes I have ever, ever seen in my life. He is dreadful. He is childish. He's damaged. He's racist. He's misogynist. He's 
pretty dumb. He has absolutely no no skills about how to read a room. He is a great actor and he's very, very funny. So Steve Carell, I just look forward to your next work. Remember Crazy Stupid Love? I love yeah. everything Steve Carell does. And also people did say that he played that role better than Ricky Gervais. They say that the British The Office was a better production but that Steve Carell was, was better in the role. That, well, the American the one was certainly more successful. It ran for nine seasons and the Ricky Gervais one was cancelled after two seasons for poor ratings. I mean, very clever series and Ricky Gervais and his producers mastermind the American version. I think only one episode was the same and then after that it was so different because of you know, the different, um, the American one is set in Pennsylvania. It's brilliant. I'll defer to your um, your movie knowledge here. There was a um, movie maybe about eight years ago, seven or eight years ago Meryl Streep, their marriage is in crisis. They've been married for about 35 years 40 years and they go to a marriage counsellor and Steve Carell is the marriage counsellor the lead actor who is so he becomes a changed man as this movie moves he's 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 a statue he's he doesn't touch his wife there's no affection um hope springs that's right yes i've seen i saw it on the plane last year hope springs yeah we kind of went under the radar a bit i thought it was a terrific performance from meryl who was a wife who just wanted affection where's the love gone in our marriage where's the fun times i'm now lee jones tommy lee jones he was so good because you see the transformation of him from this um bored and disconnected chap to suddenly rediscovering his wife embracing the years that are left, becoming quite youthful again. And Steve Carell is the unexpected... I mean, you can imagine Tommy Lee Jones' suspicion when he arrives at the Marriage Guidance Council office and there's Steve Carell on the sofa to greet them. But it's a really good role. No, that's that's a pretty good crush for someone who hasn't been out of the bed. Oh, look, seriously, he has absolutely been keeping me going and he's done so many brilliant other... Little Miss Sunshine was another absolute favourite. That was when I first discovered him, that great film, one of the best road trip films I've ever I've ever seen. And a really sad one I saw at the cinema last year, Beautiful Boy. Mm, yes. Um, the father of a um, drug-addicted son. Anyway, he, he can do anything, Steve Carell, and he has really saved my life over the last week. Okay, well, that's good to hear. I'm glad that he was uh, in the bedroom with you, so to speak, Caro. Now, book, screen and food. Uh, thank you to Red Energy, our sponsors of this segment, and, of course, as we said before, thank you to Prince Wine Store. BSF, you have a book, Caro, the most fun we have ever had. I wish I'd had this over the last week now that I've got back into reading and I'm a bit bereft at the moment, although I have started a good book I'll maybe talk about in the next few weeks. Claire Lombardo's first novel, Corrie. Um, Have you read it? No. I know it, but I haven't read it. It is just the most wonderful family saga. I can't believe I'd never heard of it. I'd never read it. I picked it up in a bookshop in Utrecht, uh, an English-speaking bookshop, obviously, or the the English-speaking section, Um, and I mentioned it to Rose, my daughter, and she said, oh, Mum, absolutely loved it. I think Anna from the op shop had loved it as well. It's a family saga about a couple who almost love each other too much, and... um, I say that because they give birth to four daughters. She, um, they don't really plan their lives in any way at all. They're both that. They meet at college. They fall in love like a lot of couples do. They don't. They both come from interesting family backgrounds. They don't seem to have a huge amount of friends. They do make have some friends, but it's more about their kids. All girls 
and all fairly damaged in their own way, partly because their parents' love is so all-consuming that um, they all... If, if they all measure against that standard and mm. nothing, no one ever really measures up. No, And but, no room for them sometimes that happens. No, and, um, and look, there are infidelities that they are not the perfect couple. Um, their, their life is, it, it is a complete saga of their life from when they are teenagers, a lot of flashbacks um, until when they are well into their 60s. It is beautifully written. It's very, very, it's very, very funny in parts, but it's also incredibly sad. And the stories of all these girls who have so many problems is just quite, you just think, oh, what can happen next? But I couldn't put it down, Corrie, and um, I really look forward to what Claire Lombardo writes next, but I honestly think it's one of the most enjoyable books, set in Chicago, I should say. I mean, there are so many dreadful family secrets and a, a child that's been adopted out many years before turns up, an adopted son turns up and completely shakes up everyone's life. There's some appalling behaviour, but I would say as a multi-generational novel about a family, this is one of the best I've ever read. I loved it. Well, you know I'm a fan of the British uh, Literary Prize, the Women's Prize. I always love yeah. what they choose. Well, this appeared on the long list uh, last year, I think it was, last year or the year before. So uh, the most fun we ever had, I am going to give that a go, Caro, by Claire Lombardo. There's a, there's a bit, of, bit of Annie Tyler about it, Corrie, a bit of Annie Tyler about it. We don't it. mind a bit of Annie Tyler, Tyler, do we? Um, now, you put me on, well, we both, unbeknown to each other, started watching The Maid, and I wasn't going to stick with it because I thought it was a bit bleak as we move on to screen. But thank you so much for making me persist because, wow, what a great series. It is a great series, Carol. It's on Netflix. There's one series. I'm not sure whether they're planning a second. You may know more about that than they're I. They're saying no. They're Are saying they? no. Oh, well, I think that sounds no. pretty. That sounds pretty good. It sounds. It it, it feels quite complete for me. Um, single mother Alex. Uh, she leaves a volatile relationship. This is at the very beginning, the opening. So I'm not giving anything away. She's quite young. Maybe. What do you reckon, Carol? Twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, something like that. Maybe a fraction yeah, older. Certainly early twenties. Yeah. A yeah. girl a girl a girl who was never able to achieve her dreams, which is to be a writer and to study. She wants to go to university or college as it is over there in the States. And her mother, played by Andy McDowell, in a most extraordinary performance, is um, bipolar, very artistic, crazy, crazy, uh, in a, in a lovely way. Although at times it is a little menacing and a bit concerning. But you can see as the series unfolds that the relationship between Alex and her mum Paula has been—it's loving, but it's been fraught since uh, Alex was a little girl. So she finds herself in this relationship with a guy called Sean. They have a little daughter, two or three years of age, Maddie, and one night it's just too much. Alex can't take it anymore. She she throws Maddie into the car, which is a clapped out bomb. They hit the road. They don't have anywhere to go. And this is their, this is Alex's story of trying to rebuild her life. And it's a family saga, Caro, yes, but one of the things I really love about this is how truthful it is about um, social security poverty, women in crisis, refuges and the amazing women who work at refuges. A lot of them are volunteers. Um, And the bureaucratic thicket that has to be followed by people who find themselves in this situation because the... um, 
the husband is not um, abusive in, in that he's violent. I mean, he, he does throw things, but I don't think he's ever actually hit her or the child. But The reminder <clears> is that abuse comes in different forms, though. Yeah, he has a drinking problem. He's completely damaged himself. I only realised a few shows in that... Um, Margaret Qualley, who plays the main character, is the daughter of um, Andy McDowell in real life and, in fact, suggested Andy McDowell for the role because um, Andy McDowell's own mother had been um, also had mental illness and Andy McDowell had had a really tough upbringing as well. They, by the end, they look so alike, these two, and they are both brilliant in it, don't you think? Yeah, they really are and their beauty doesn't detract from the performance at all. Um, but but there's, a, there's a bloodline here um, that, uh, that, you can, that you can see and, of course, it's part of the script too because Paula is so attractive to different men. She said so many men over the years. But, look, I really recommend made I think it's a crackerjack series and um, it's Gee, it gets bleak in a few areas though doesn't it oh, Rose doesn't and I had it. to stop watching a few times and then you look at their synopsis for the next one in a crushing series of disappointments you go what more crushing can happen but of course there are a lot of uplifting moments and the re- well. and the reason it's called made is it's because it's the only job that Alex can secure um, in order to get some public housing in order to get uh, to buy food and and um, and so and as she tries, as I said, tries to rebuild her life. So that is made on Netflix, and I do recommend that one. So Caro, um, my recipe this week is a. I tried this at Port Ferry. Um, we went to dinner with friends, and Jen from Hamilton, our darling Jen Hutton, served. She was on pudding duty, and she served this for dessert, and it was just a huge success. We were all very excited about it and we all wanted the recipe. And she said that when her friend Joy, who's also from the Western District, when Joy had cooked it, they all wanted to know um, what's the recipe. So because it was passed around, half of Hamilton um, have it on their phone. And so, of course, when Annie and Di and I said to Jen, we want the recipe, she just went bingo. So it's sitting here in my phone and I will send it to you um, if you like it, it is a Belinda Jeffrey original, but I'm just calling it Jen and Joy's um, cake. It is a flourless almond, coconut and vanilla cake. Now, Jen assures me that it is easy to make. I don't want to take anything away from her beautiful cake by saying it's a cinch and I haven't cooked it myself, but it's pretty, it's pretty, it does look pretty straightforward. It's almond meal, desiccated coconut, a little bit of salt, caster sugar, eggs, vanilla extract, almond essence, unsalted butter, flaked almonds and icing sugar both for the top. So as you can see, no flour um, and it cooks, um, it cooks. How long does it cook for? I can't see it here. Must be 40 minutes it cooks for. Uh, Jane will have it on our show notes, everyone. And um, it is the Belinda Jeffrey, if you want to Google it, Belinda Jeffrey, flour, flourless almond, coconut and vanilla cake. Caro, this would be great in school lunches, although you probably can't do nuts, can you, Miss Jane, at schools now? You can't send kids off. Oh, we're not sure about that. Okay, don't put it in the school lunch just in case there's nut allergies. But certainly for an afternoon tea, or indeed we had it for pudding um, after the main meal, it was a blast. We all loved it. And I think in fact, a couple of people around the table, husband being one, might have had two pieces. So that is that. Now, grumpy. Sounds absolutely delicious. Um, I, I would never say a recipe is simple until I've done it myself, though, but it does sound beautiful. And um, 
I actually whipped up the chestnut cake again yesterday. Oh, good on you. Um, the Mary Clark recipe that um, I told you about a few weeks ago, that is an absolute winner, Corrie. If you haven't done that yet, I think you should definitely give it a go. Now, you're sounding very cheery, but I gather you're grumpy about something as well. Mm, what do you think I might be grumpy about? Oh, please, not a traffic infringement. <laughs> no. Well, you had it You had it with the traffic. Um, actually, it's not really traffic, I suppose. It's a vehicle issue. So on Tuesday... It was, you know how I have the two girls' birthdays in the one week, so I'm in between birthdays as I speak, and it was number two daughter's birthday on Tuesday in Geelong. So Checker travelled from Ballarat, and I came over from the Morn Pen on the ferry, and we had lunch. We all had we all had lunch in between Coco working. We had lunch in Geelong, and it was terrific. And we bought her. I bought her a little um, a little um, birthday gift at Annie Annie Waters' gorgeous store Mayfield in Newtown and we had a great time and um, that was it. The ferry ride, Caro, why can't the Queenscliff to Sorrento ferry cost a little less because I feel certain many more people would take it. So normally I would... $134, I think it was, for a standard vehicle. Now that return? return? Yeah, that's return. It's return. But no wonder we all weigh it up and think, oh, no, we'll travel around because it's less expensive. And it just seems crazy. So I, I admittedly, it was a weekday. Uh, it was busier going over than coming back. But I looked at the few cars that there were and I thought, gee, you know, if you knock this down to 99.99 or something like that, you probably get more punters on the boat, on the ferry. Apparently there's a, there's a, um, a group thing you can do, you know, like you can – buy a certain amount for the year or something oh, pass. like that. Some sort of pass. Yeah, which they should do. I mean, I find when I want to do that lovely trip to Queenscliff, one of our favourite towns, and I'm over the other side, I just leave my car now because I don't – but if you have to drive, you're Well, right, I had obviously. to drive to Geelong and I looked, at yeah. the, I looked at the buses and the bus goes via Ocean Grove to Geelong, which wouldn't be, you know, out of, out of the ordinary – uh, except I took Panda with me, the puppy, so that was going to be difficult. But um, I, don't, I don't know. I just think that that's a little steep, and I think if they bought the price down, many more of us would be travelling across uh, Port Phillip Bay from one side to the other. So that's what I'm grumpy about. More of a suggestion box, really, for the Queen's well, Cliffs Sorrento Ferry. you found a, um, yet another issue relating to cars and traffic. Yeah, I know. I love keeping <laughs> you on your toes. <laughs> So I'm very impressed. Now, Corey, I'm going to kick off six quick questions. It is 20 years since the release of the first Harry Potter film, The Philosopher's Stone. You've seen all eight movies several times. Yeah. Wow, which is the best. Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, Caro, would be my best bet. Some people would argue the later ones, the latter ones, because Voldemort, played by Ralph Fiennes, uh, it becomes more sinister and it's therefore more engaging for adults. But I think Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, the fourth one, um, Harry Potter's fourth year at Hogwarts, is the turning point. Great cast um, and uh, the climax being Robbie Pattinson. You know, he ended up on that... um, Vampire movie series. Yeah, um, he with plays Christian Stewart, who played Princess Diana. Correct, yeah. and he um, he plays Cedric Diggory, who comes to a bit of a sticky end. It's a really wonderful. It's the first of the really menacing ones of Harry Potter. So I would say that. Now, Caro, thinking about Scott Morrison's ill-fated holiday to Hawaii a couple of summers ago, have you ever taken a holiday by stealth? 
Look, I haven't, Corrie, but um, I uncovered one a few years ago involving Andrew Demetriou, who was then running the AFL. And I mention this only because Scott Morrison to wire trip has come up again in Parliament, I think because he claimed he told Anthony Albanese where he was going, and as it turns out, he didn't. He just said he was going on holiday. Why you wouldn't just put your hand up about something like that, I do not know. I think it probably is, can go into the annals of history now, but... Um, Back in 2012, on the eve of the London Olympics, it came to my attention that um, Andrew Demetria was going to the Olympics at the invitation of Channel 7, and I heard that he was taking a couple of months off, like a seriously long holiday, which I thought was quite interesting. So um, I asked him about it, and he said um, he sort of fudged the answer. So then I rang the media boss at the AFL, and they denied it. And then I found out it was true. Now, again, Andrew Demetrio, I think, ended up taking two and a half months off that year, going on a massive family holiday, long service leave. I think there was a lovely house in Italy with the family. You know, he had, a, he had an amazing holiday and set up camp in London for quite a long time. In fact, did some interviews while he was over there, including one with me at the top of um, Harvey Nichols, I think. I'll never forget it. But um, in their cafe... Why wouldn't you just put your hand up and be honest about it? I mean, why wouldn't you just say, yes, I'm going on a long holiday? People are going to find out. It gave me such fodder. I was able to arrow him on footy classified. I think even at the AFL grand final that year, Mike Fitzpatrick had a crack at him in his speech. It was just like, it's fine. Work hard. Take a holiday. Don't deny it. It will always come back and bite you. And you're still dining out on it too. Well, I only remembered it. I only remembered it when I was reading the um, elbow text controversy um, the other day in my um, daily news feed. Well, don't be so sure that it's been confined to the annals of time, Caro, because uh, he's taking a bit, the prime minister's taking a bit of hit, a hit on credibility and telling the truth. Well, it wasn't a great time, particularly as we remember what was happening then with the bushfires. Corrie, of all the outstanding British actors who appeared, more Harry Potter in the Harry Potter movies. Whose do you consider the finest performance? Without doubt, Alan Rickman as Severus Snape. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. He's such an overactor, though, don't you think? God rest his soul. I mean, no, I him, but... no, I think he's great. And you know what happened after a couple of, of series? He they wanted him to go on, and he said, "No, no, no, I'm just playing a, a one-dimensional character. It's rather dull being this professor." And J.K. Rowling had to take him aside and swear him to secrecy, and said. This character is the storyteller. This character is the key to everything. That was, of course, before she'd finished her series. How's that? But you know, you think wow. about you think about them all. Everybody from our Dawn French to John Cleese, who played <laughs> played the portraits, the characters in the portraits. John Cleese is nearly headless. Nick is hilarious. Um, Emma Thompson, Julie Waters, uh, Raph, Raph um, Fine, who I've mentioned before. Maggie Smith, brilliant. Um, Helena Bonham Carter as. Um, as Voldemort's um, right-hand woman. Really, it's just such a great cast. So if you haven't seen Harry Potter, it's 20 years and the cast is getting back together for a reunion. I actually saw him. Oh, are they? Yeah. A reunion. Well, just a reunion, you know, remember the day and one of those awful and awkward. Remember how I was so looking forward to the Friends one when the cast would come back together? Oh, avoid them like the plague. Avoid them like the plague. Um, Caro, following this week's bungle by Channel 7's Matt Doran to interview Adele... Without listening, yeah. without listening to her new album, not a good career move, Matt. Um, have you ever interviewed a writer, actor, or singer and not read, seen, or heard their work? Well, worst the two worst things I think I've ever done was one day um, 
covering the Edinburgh Commonwealth Games with Bruce Wilson, I was very sick with food poisoning and I was out of my sick bed and he said, come on, we've got to go and talk to this boxer who's um, just been beaten in his bout before we go and do something else. And we started interviewing this kid and um, it was only halfway through the interview that we realised he'd actually, he'd actually won. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, how how are you how are you feeling, Tex? Oh, I'm feeling pretty good actually. <laughs> one of the most um, beautiful, um, fascinating men, Bruce Wilson, and one of the great writers, God rest his soul. But boy, we stuffed that one up that day. And the other one was when I filled in at very short notice um, on Three AW before I ended up hosting the afternoon program. I for filling in for Sarah Henderson. Um, there were all these guests coming in, and I won't name her, but an Australian singer came in, and I said, yeah, 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 I've, I've heard her stuff. I've heard her album, even though, as it turns out, I hadn't. And it was only about two minutes into the interview that she looked at me and she said, you think I'm Wendy Matthews, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> okay, who was it? And I said, I said, no, 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 I don't. Anyway, that was pretty Who was it? Who has who has blonde curly hair and looks like Wendy Matthews, Jane? Well, if I could um if I could remember her name, I'd tell you, but I can't. Oh, it was just a terrible, terrible moment. But not as public as that Adele one. And he knew what he was going to do. So probably a bit of a worse rookie mistake. Corey, what was this week's worst domestic job? Cleaning the oven. Oh, I hate that. I hate cleaning hate the it. oven. In fact, I can't even say it properly. I'm gagging. Cleaning. Did you do the spray? Cleaning the oven. Yes, but you do nearly kill yourself with the fumes. Thank God for face masks, Caro, and the fact that you've got 27 hanging around in the kitchen just as you need it. Um, True. Didn't do a great job. Um, Tried to get other people in the family to do it. They all just said, are you kidding? Even the dog looked at me. And you know what? I did it and I hate it and I just hope that another year can go by and I don't have to do it again. Caro, what's this week's Dutch fact? Well, the Netherlands have turned on the kangaroo industry. Did you know that um, Europe is, in fact, um, the biggest importer of kangaroo products in the world? And there's been this massive movement across the EU to ban kangaroo products because of the way a lot of world health organisations, sorry, world animal organisations are claiming that um, kangaroos are culled. And um, the big one is the World Animal Protection Group. So basically they're saying that um, it's inhumane, what's happening with kangaroos and that figures are being fudged, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think there were things like hats, football boots, pet food, ice skates. A lot of that comes into the Netherlands from kangaroo products. And what do you, one what of do you big... mean? What do you mean ice skates? Well, kangaroo skin is used to make ice skates, the leather. Well, blow me down with a feather. I didn't know and that. The, did you know that? Did you know online... that before you became Dutch? No. Well, I mean, I guess shoes, you know, I guess it's all part of it. But Bowl.com is a big online sort of importer-exporter, and they are being heavily pressured by the um, their World Animal Protection Group. But um, a lot of the European supermarkets, Spa, Carrefour, who were actually – um, pressured by Brigitte Bardot, who wrote them an open letter. Um, Delhaize, which is a Belgian one, they've banned kangaroo meat, um, pet food, etc., from being sold. And um, there's this documentary going around, Kangaroo, a love-hate story, that is doing the browns, including a Deodora in, De- in Milan, and they're no longer using kangaroo leather for their products. So 
it's basically um, on the nose in a big way, and the Netherlands has joined up big time. So isn't that interesting? I had no idea there was such a world movement. Hey, Skip. <laughs> well, what's that? Well, I don't. You're being don't turned into a what? Into a, into a pair of ice skates. <laughs> I don't think the World Protection Group would find that very funny, Corey. <laughs> no, no, no. It's a really, it's a really serious topic. But look, I just couldn't resist because I did love Skippy when I was little. I just didn't know kangaroo meat was so popular over here, and it's now being banned left, right, and centre. They're even saying it's um, bad for your health. Really, pointing to all these yeah health issues as well, which may or may not be true. I do like a bit of kangaroo meat. Do you? Well, the hard people love it because it's so low in cholesterol and fat. Yeah. Okay, so, Cara, that was a pretty terrific episode, finishing on a most interesting Dutch fact. If you have any Dutch facts you would like to share with us, just or anything really that you would like to share, please get in touch with us and you can do that via our Instagram account, which is at Don't Shoot Pod, or our Facebook page, or indeed just email is fine. Feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. Don't forget we're turning 200 in a couple of weeks. Don't forget we're coming up with a Christmas show. Don't forget my um, podcast, The Book Pod, is coming back in a few weeks, which is exciting. And, Caro, what do we say? Too sick to say it in Dutch. Don't shoot the messenger, Corrie. How do you say it in Dutch? <laughs> Thank you. I'll do it next week. <laughs> this podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131 806? And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world.